otherwise on SAFM. Very good day to you, Mzansi, and welcome to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. My producer is Hazel Makuzeni, and Garnet Nguiniga is our technical producer for today. Our contact details are 0892102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweet at otherwisesafm, or at Shadow Twala. Now, Afro Blossom, South Africa's latest fashion powerhouse, has just showcased its latest range in, in November at the annual International Apparel, Textile and Footwear Trade Exhibition. And uh, we speak with Bonolo Matabuche, despite her struggles with Blount's disease. Then orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Philip Delange, educates us about this disease. But before that, my lunch bite, look after your body. It's the only one you have to live in. Otherwise, on SAFM. Hello, Bonolo Matabuche. Bonolo. Hello. Hi, welcome to Otherwise. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us in the studio. Absolutely. I wish you could have been here with (laughs) me because I really wanted to know what you're wearing. Uh, I'm wearing my favorite color, purple. (laughs) Ah, you know what they say about that color, huh? Color of royalty. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, okay. Others say it's a... It's a it's an it's a shout out to I need love and more and more than that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have plenty of love. Thank you have I, I I I should gather that yeah. No no, they, in fact more than love. When when can I say this? Yeah, I can. When you're sexually depraved, <laughs> you wear you wear purple. <laughs> We're getting off to a good start, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Now, congratulations. How did the, the showcase go, your it latest went, range? It went very well. We've been getting a lot of good responses, been talking to some retailers, so it's going very well. And Afro Blossom, where did that word come from? Well, it's actually two words. It used to be African Blossom, and mm-hmm. then I shortened it this year. I thought it was a mouthful. So what inspired African Blossom? Well, I always took design in school, so they encouraged us to imagine our future fashion or design business. So I came up with African Blossom because, like, okay, it's Africa's time to shine. We're amazing. So it just came from all of that of how I wanted to channel my pride for Africa into design. Now, let's go back a bit because your your life has not been very easy. Um, you, you've had some challenges even before you got to school because of what you, what is called Blount's disease. Yes. Now, tell us the story. Um, so when I was younger or when I was a toddler, my mom noticed that my legs were bowed and everyone said, oh no, she'll grow out of it. They'll straighten. People thought it was cute. Mm. And then over time, my mom realized like, this is doesn't look normal so she took me to a doctor and that's where I got diagnosed and Blount's disease is when your legs bow but over time it gets worse so it was something that needed to be corrected and I also had a rare form where um, the one leg grows faster than the other one so mm. I've had about five operations to try and fix that Wow! so yeah wow and and that obviously uh, kind of interrupted your school days right no I've never not gone to school because not. of my op- because of the operations I had this was the first time that I had to drop out of school because I got very sick which which is when you went to the design well, school yes when I went to Lysoff so I, I got a pin tract infection because I had an external fixator and that's when I got sick. 
Mm-hmm. And but you, your matric was done already. Yes, yes, it was. But what what kept you going though? Because all these challenges, all the you know the 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 operations, you you were steadfast. You wanted to become a designer. Well, for me, I never felt like it's such a serious thing. I feel like everyone else is more shocked when I tell really? them how many surgeries I've had. Yes, because I do what I want. I take dance at school. I did sports if I wanted. So it never felt like. Oh, this is the worst thing in, that's happening to me mm, right now. Mm. You took it in your stride. Yes. Well, well done because Thank you know you. that attitude is a great attitude to have. Where did you get it from? Your your mom. My your... mom. Yes. <laughs> it had to be a mom somewhere. Yes, yeah, always. So, fashion design school, and you decide what? How do you then define the kind of uh, clothing you want to create for South African women? What did you have to consider? Well, firstly, my drive into going to fashion was to supply clothes for plus size women because mm-hmm. I find it's very difficult to find clothes in South Africa for us that are stylish and are comfortable so that is my main goal so all my designs I take into consideration the fully figure woman's body what we like what we don't do that not necessarily we want to wear everything that's on trend because they don't always suit us mm. so <laughs> that's my main thing well the, the yeah trends don't suit a lot of us yeah because the, the, <laughs> the, the trends i think are for so, what what size size eight size, uh, below. <laughs> size non-existent but what 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 are, what are do's and don'ts for plus size women because there we there we have it i'm glad we're having this conversation yes because um it, it doesn't mean that because you're plus size and you You've got a beautiful body, but it yes. doesn't mean that you fit into um, everything that's out there. Yes, absolutely no to a crop top. Let us burn them. They should not be made in our sizes. What, what, what are the crop tops? The, uh, ones the that top sh- that comes like above your belly button. Ooh, so okay. We don't have the bellies to show. So. Regardless, of how, <laughs> regardless of how old you are. Yeah, it's just not cute. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I find it disturbing sometimes when big girls wear crop tops because then it's just like like a tube of fat well, showing well, and it's it's, it's mm-hmm. you're showing your voluptuousness there's there's ways to do it where you still look cute because then there comes a point where people start making fun of you it's not pretty mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. nice to look at mm-hmm. but but when do we get to a point where women can just wear anything they want regardless of what people say about it we can. I follow people on Instagram who do that. They post pictures of them in crop tops, in bikinis, at any size. I say go for it if you really must. But at the same time, you have to accept that not everyone will be okay with it. And they can make fun of you. And are you willing to take all the negativity that will come with it? Mm, mm. So so what are we talking about when you talk plus size? What, what is plus size? From from what size to what size is plus? Well, I and what are we plusing? <laughs> <laughs> what well, are we plusing? Well, I don't know. I think in America they say the average woman is a size fourteen, which is I guess a thirty six, thirty eight. Mm-hmm. So to them, that's already a plus. Mm-hmm. But maybe in Africa we don't see that as big. When I see a girl's a thirty eight, I don't really think she's no, she's big. not big. Yeah. So, but in the fashion industry, I guess over thirty four is big. <laughs> okay, but you then accommodate up to what size? 46, 48, mm-hmm, depending mm-hmm. on the demand. So we started 34 upwards. And and then you, you spoke about representing your designs being typically African-inspired. Yes. And, and, and there's a lot of African prints now in fashion mm-hmm. generally. Um, is, is that where you, you, you're concentrating on? Or do you 
do you, do you fuse uh, and what part of Africa that's the other thing I mean do we only have the prince as opposed to traditional gear that that comes from um, I know in Ghana it's going to be the Kenta cloth mm -hmm. and, and and you know the different cloths coming from different but Mali has the what's the one called in Mali but they're different uh, yeah. cloths from different okay. parts so which ones do you necessarily use well for us we haven't really used a lot of African print mm -hmm. but my design is more subtle I look into what's unique about the culture like this current range we have was inspired by the Ndebele people so the blankets the neck rings mm. and the body rings that they wear so we use a lot of cowls to represent that and mm. capes not necessarily taking a textile which is very obvious mm -hmm. and people will be like oh yes that's Ndebele so I want you to think about it a little bit more mm -hmm. and when you make when you make clothing I mean talking yes. about plus size usually I think and I I may be wrong here I think uh, a lot of designers would use mannequins for 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 measure measuring what they do are there mannequins for plus size women yes they are you can order those but oh, I draw from my when I start designing I draw on plus size figures so I can really see how it's going to sit on the body without even going to a mannequin oh so you don't m much use mannequins well that's for display <laughs> I use real ah. people ah. to try on stuff and see is it comfortable um, does it fit right because sometimes what we imagine on paper doesn't necessarily translate in real life mm -hmm. so where's the do you have a, a fixed address or do you do pop-ups what do you do how does one get your your afro blossom range to to see it is it online to purchase um, we it we have a facebook page and our online store is being constructed at the moment we're at burgundy fly in maponya mall and uh rosebank and you can visit our <laughs> studio in randberg you just email us at afroblossom at gmail.com to make an appointment and you can come see the whole collection how old are you 19. i thought so <laughs> <laughs> So I thought she does sound like so when did you finish high school to go to a fashion last year? I matriculated last year. And the design school obviously. I was you didn't there finish. this year and I'm there and I had to drop out in May. How are your legs now? They're fine. I'm just learning how to walk normally because all my life I've never had equal legs. So now it's an interesting thing to suddenly have that four point seven centimeters I didn't have. And are you, do you have to wear specialized shoes? No, I just wear a moon boot now for support and protection. Cause What's like, a moon boot? It's that gray boots that people wear if they like fracture their ankles. Ah, like ah, yeah. okay. So I wear that right now just for protection because the, <laughs> the middle part of my leg is, what, eight months old? And then the rest are 19-year-old bones. Oh, you, you're having fun with this, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Finding words and names for the the way things are, and that that's such a gorgeous attitude to have. Again, um, and 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 uh, you get lots of support from, from. I mean, can you drive? I want to know. Oh no! It sounds like you can't drive. Huh? <laughs> no, I was supposed to learn how to drive this year, but I had this gigantic brace on, so I couldn't drive. Mm -hmm. So so it can't quite be as easy as you make it sound to to live with with uh, Blanche's disease. I don't know. I just I'm used to it. I I don't know any other way. So. I, I guess you can't miss something you've never had. <laughs> mm, mm. And are you told, what do you know about it? What has been explained to you about it? Was it hereditary or, or do you get educated about it at all? Yeah, well, they did explain what it's about. And then I did do some research for myself on the side. And I found that it's very pr prominent in the African community, especially mm. affecting girls. So mm. that's how 
through my collection, I want to donate money back to the Walker Mile mm. Center that did my surgery to help other children. Because just the brace on its own to fix my leg was over 100,000 rand. So And you're doomed if you don't have that amount of money, huh? Yeah, even if you have medical aid, they'll only fund it to a certain point. So mm. it's mm. very difficult to get help sometimes. Are you worried that your children may have Blount's disease? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that's but I'm not. I don't think I'm at the age of thinking about having kids yet. So. Well, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, we don't expect you to for the next twenty years, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> one of you an old mom like thirty is a good age. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much for talking thank to us. All so the best uh, with Afri Blossom. Yes. And uh, I'm going to go online. And, and you said, what, what's the website again? Or oh, it's still under construction? Yes, and we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. And yeah, you can find us there. And our website is up, but there's nothing on it yet. So there's no point going there. You've got all the time. But yes. take a picture of yourself in the studio in Johannesburg and put it on Twitter. And send yes, it to we me will. Again. And if there are any retailers out there looking for new designers, call us. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> Thank you. So give us your email address. Uh, afriblossom at gmail.com. Afriblossom at gmail.com. All the best, Ali. Thank you so much. You Shadow. take care now. Thank you. Bye bye. bye. What an amazing attitude especially towards her struggles with Blount's disease. But what is Blount's disease? Well, Dr. Philip Delange and Bonolo mentioned um, he's the creator of Walk a Mile Center for Advanced Orthopedics, and he joins us on the line now. Dr. Delange, hello. Hi, Shadi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I just spoke to Bonolo. She's so, she's got such an amazing attitude towards Blanc's, and I, I think Walker Mile has just given her an operation. So, well done with Walker Mile. Yes, thank you very much. Um, Bonolo is an excellent patient and, and really a pleasure to treat. Um, it's, it's very good to see that, you know, people even having significant deformities at times have, can have such a positive outlook on life, you know, and you, nothing gets them down. And that's the best patients you treat in the end of the day. You're very lucky. And I'm sure you, 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 you were the influence as well for a positive, uh, positive outlook that she has. But just give us a bit of background. Now, what are we talking about? Blanche disease. Where does it come from? Okay, so Blount's disease is, a, is actually a very complex disease and up to now, even with all our medical advances, we still don't have the exact answer of what the precise cause is. Um, it's definitely got some form of genetic predisposition and that's why we often see it so commonly in South Africa. Um, it's very common in the African community as well as in the African-American community, much more so than in the European and Caucasian communities. And why is that? Um, it might, it's because of the gene, the genetic predisposition towards it. Okay. Um, so there must be some form of genetic coding that makes our population much more susceptible to actually getting Blount's disease. How does it present itself? All right. So Blount's disease has numerous stages and it can actually present um, anywhere in a growing child. So there's two different forms of Blount's disease, the infantile one or the more ju juvenile or adolescent type of, of Blount's disease. Now, with the infantile type, it actually presents shortly after birth, in the first year to two years, where these children start developing bowing of their legs that gets progressively worse and worse. Now, all children, when they are born in the first year, up to start walking to about 18 months, do have some form of both legs. Mm. But most of that is actually physiological and then actually becomes more and more normal as time goes on. 
But with Blount's disease, that this actually gets worse and worse with the bowing as well as the rotational interning of the lower legs that becomes worse over time. I'm wondering if if um, it's got nothing to do with with us putting babies on our backs. Um, what they've shown to be the risk factors for Blount's disease is actually um, more children that actually start walking earlier. So children that walk at nine months or earlier has got a higher predisposition to actually develop Blount's disease than the ones that actually start walking later, later than a year to about 13, 14 months. So I don't really think that carrying on the backs and that positioning has a significant effect on that. It does have some effects on, on hip problems and things, but not on Blount's disease. And how does one then, as soon as you think you have the symptoms, at what stage should you worry as a parent? And is there anything you can do at that point of that nine months baby who's work, walking early? Um, are there other reversals that you can you can you can uh, or correct uh, at that time? Okay, so obviously you can't stop babies from from walking. If they walk early, they do. <laughs> uh, but it does make you a bit more worried. Um, in general, for the first two, plus minus two to three years, we actually just observe them and have a look at their bowing as well as x-rays looking at their growth plate in the area of their proximal tibia in their lower leg to see whether it gets worse or not. Mm. So it's highly irregular that we'll do something unless there's something we clearly pick up within the in the first two years. Um, so for in general, for the first two to three years, it's more observation than anything else. Mm -hmm. And and then can you can you put in braces? Because I think Bonolo had said that one her leg one leg grew longer than the other. Yes, if if one looks at the literature and things, there is a lot written about bracing and bracing techniques. Most of this comes from more the European type of settings where they say that in the early um, infantile blounts definitely bracing does have a role to play. Mm -hmm. But I must say from our South African experience, um, with our climate being significantly different than the Europeans, bracing is not that successful. Um, it's difficult to keep these patients in braces um, and it, it doesn't really work. Why is it because of the heat? Um, it's difficult for them, you know, it's uncomfortable firstly um, and um, I don't know whether our compliance with pricing is as good as it is maybe in other settings in the world. When do you introduce surgery? Alright, so usually like I said now, uh, probably not between two and a half to three years unless the x-ray shows sign that listen, this is a definite blouse that's definitely progressing that's not going to get better spontaneously on its own. And and uh, then it's because it's not only one treatment, which is one uh, operation. It, it sounds like there has to be other okay. follow-up operations. Yeah. So if you look at the literature, like I said, there's two different types of blunts. The infantile blunts is the children that actually start with this shortly after birth or in the first 18 months. Mm -hmm. Now, the literature says that these children actually, if you can fully correct their deformities and slightly overcorrect it, before the age of four years, the likelihood of them having subsequent surgery or requiring subsequent surgery significantly less. Mm. But if by the age of four years you haven't corrected the deformity and there is still residual deformity, 
most of these children then end up having multiple surgeries in future. The problem is that with blounds on the inside of the leg, the place where it grows, the growth plate, actually either stops growing or it grows slower than the outside part of the leg. And that's what causes the deformity. Now, obviously, in a child, you can't stop the growth completely because then you get massive leg length deficits um, and extremely short-statured people. Mm. So that's why even if you correct the deformity after four years, a lot of them still recur because of growing on the opposite side or because growing in children is not exactly the same in every child. Mm. And wh- what role does weight play to, um, to, to make it worse? Or so Definitely it plays a, a, a big role and with the early walking obesity, and obese children definitely has a higher predisposition to to blounts. And secondly, if you have blounts, as soon as you're developing this bow legs and your knees move further apart, the force is not transmitted directly from your hip or from your, your central region to your ankle or your foot on which you walk. So that puts excessive pressure on that medial side of the knee where it grows even more so and that's the area that's already affected and because the force there is then even more abnormal it can still slow the growth more than it was previous and makes the, make the blounts progress worse dr Tlinger, what what if it's left untreated if it's left untreated these patients often end up with with massive deformity um you know you're talking about bowing of the legs in excess of 45, 50 degrees hmm. with significant shortening and like I said now, now the in turning of the toes or what we call internal rotation hmm. with the toes being turned in 45 to 60 degrees in hmm. relation to the knees what it's supposed to be. So that then makes it extremely difficult for them to mobilize if they can mobilize at all. In the long run it also then affects all the other structures around the knee as well as the ligamentous structures because the force is not distributed correctly and uh, becomes a significant problem to treat later. Because I'm thinking that we're very fortunate people like Budnolo who, whose parents probably have access to some knowledge and, and uh, access to, to people like yourselves but what if a, a blunts uh, a, a diseased child is born possibly in the rural areas where parents cannot afford mostly and don't have contact with orthopedic surgeons like yourself what happens that's a significant problem because our government system is so bogged down with trauma and the amount of patients that we can actually treat that a lot of those children take a long time before they actually get to the appropriate referral centers that can actually manage this and then they already have this massive deformities, end up having multiple surgeries, um, and it, it gets very difficult to correct if you can correct it at all. Um, so yes, you, you're 100% correct. There's a large amount of, of these children that end up as adults with massive deformities, and uh, we, we tend to see them um, very late. And, and would they eventually end up on a wheelchair? Um, a lot of them, yes. If uh, if you if you don't manage it, uh, the deformity will get so bad with attenuation or stretching out of the ligaments around the knee that it it, it might become um, impossible for them to work. 
I'm going to ask you, Dr. Delanga, to please stay on the line because I want I want us uh, to talk more about the Walker Mile Centre yes. and um, other other beautiful things that you do. Okay. So please, <laughs> please do stay on the line with us. And just to tell tell our, our, our listeners, Blanche disease is what we started talking about. Um, and I'd never heard of it. And everybody I spoke to today had never heard of Blanche disease. And, and, and this is why we've invited Dr. Delange to, to talk to us. But when we come back from news headlines, we'll talk to him about the Walker Miles Center for Advanced Orthopedics. It is now time for news headlines with Sir Otsile Sako. Thanks, Shadow. In the headlines, the High Court in Pretoria has ordered the parole board to consider medical parole for Clive Darby Lewis no later than the end of January next year. The DA in Gauteng says the Tembisa Hospital in Ekurulene, east of Johannesburg, is in crisis after losing its staff members. And Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta is due to address the nation following an Al-Shabaab attack in the northern border town of Mandera, in which 36 people were killed. Details at 2 o'clock. Dr. Delange is my guest and we're talking about Blanche disease. And doctor, before we talk about Walker Mile Center, uh, what sort of research is out there to find the causes at least? Um, about it and, and a lot has been done in South Africa. That's why I said, uh, you know, we've been quoted as, as one of the places with the highest incidence of Blanche disease. There's a number of the pediatric orthopedic um, departments uh, both in Cape Town as well as Pretoria that that has done over the years a number of research about it Um, but like I said finding the exact genetic predisposition or where exactly genetically it sits is extremely difficult Um, and whether we can really do something in the end of the day maybe in the future to to genetically um, you know, manipulate it so that we can stop the disease. I don't know. There's still a lot of work to be done on that. And I think it's impossible to to know about it during pregnancy. Unfortunately, completely. There, there is no test at this stage that you can do even after pregnancy, um, except for observation, examinations, and multiple X-rays to determine a child has got plans. It's not a not a thing where you can take a simple blood test and say, "All right, this is Blounds or "This is." this is this disease. So as we sit, any, and we know that it's mainly people of African descent, so as we sit, uh, there, there's nothing we can do except for hope for the best when a woman has a child. Uh, yes. And we need to examine our children afterwards and like you said, if you expect after a year's time and you follow up with your doctor that people should have the knowledge and the know-how to say that listen sure this looks abnormal we need to refer this child early to somebody that can follow it up closely or possibly manage it if possible if required so our gps are able to identify a problem that's that's comforting to know yes they should be able to so walk in walk a mile center tell us about that all right so walk a mile center for advanced orthopedics is a corroboration between myself and my partner dr franz burkles um, we are both orthopedic surgeons here in Pretoria at Netgear Unitas Hospital and our passion is deformity correction and limb reconstruction surgery. Mm-hmm. So about three years ago um, we joined to sort of work in a, in a group practice together um, so that we can manage patients better with a multi- 
disciplinary team because with all of these deformities um, and all the post-traumatic issues that develop, you know, much, many of them require treatment for a prolonged period of time. And you re require a good multidisciplinary approach with a combination of doctors, sisters, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, the orthotists, and everybody has to work together to actually make a success of often very severe or devastating um, issues that can cause limb loss or permanent problems with with mobilization. Yeah, when you talk of limb reconstruction, I, 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 in my head, there's pictures playing of putting pieces of things together. What, 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 sort, of, what sort of limb reconstruction do you do, if, if you are able to describe it? Okay, so what falls under a limb reconstruction is actually correction of any deformities, all right? Um, and those can be either congenital or acquired, all right? In the congenital forms, a blunt counts as one of them. Um, as well as all of the other genetic things that can give you limb deformities, including abnormal growth with shortening of the one leg in comparison to the other side. Um, in terms of the acquired um, injuries, fractures, fractures that yield but not in the correct position with deformities, or fractures that doesn't want to heal, what we call non-unions, mm -hmm. or fractures that was very severe and end up having infection or pieces of bone missing, bone loss hmm. that we then actually need to manage. So all of that sort of falls under limb reconstruction. Where did your passion for this come from? Sure. Um, <laughs> I actually started as an um, orthopedic medical officer at Grimbisa Hospital in, um, in Kempton Park after my internship. And already there, you know, I, I had the passion for, you know, trying to help these people that nobody else can help or want to help. Um, you know, um, it's very, like I said, very prolonged treatment, very difficult often. Um, and I just felt sure, you know, if you can walk the mile with these patients mm. and, you know, do the effort, because the operation-wise is, is the easy part. It's putting all the pieces together in the long run that, that makes the difference and that actually gets gets to a successful outcome and and that's where i started so i started with these things and the severe open fractures and things that 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 we saw at Timbisa hospital and um and from there went on to pretoria academic hospital um now steve Beaker academic hospital where i specialized and and continued with that hmm. and then the same with my partner dr franz berkholz he started the limb reconstruction unit at um, Deeper Academic Hospital and sort of developed uh, the same passion separately from from myself and then we ended up uh, joining together at a later stage. Dr. Zilanga, finally, what what um, does one do? I heard Bonolo again say that, you know, um, you, you helped financially because, you know, medical aid doesn't help with these kinds of operations or not as many, I guess. So, what do you offer in that regard, and how, you know, how does one obtain an operation when they don't have the money? All right. Um, so, yes, these operations are extremely costly and extremely labour-intensive, which makes the duration of treatment very long. Um, and in the end of the day, the total cost is massive. So, the medical aids are paying for it. 
but funds are limited, so it's often difficult to get complete funding from, from the medical aid. Um, so what, what we've done is we've built up a stock of second-hand external fixator components mm-hmm. um, that we can then, without any cost to the patients, distribute to the patients who cannot pay for, for, for it via the medical aid mm-hmm. um, to, to try and help you know a little bit so if somebody gets an external fixator and the medical aid is willing to pay for it and they pay for it we always at the end of treatment give them the choice listen they can sort of donate it to us and we can either use it in our setting in private or even at these bigger academic hospital in in the government setting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so how do people get hold of you dr delange all right so we have a website it's www.walkermile.co.za um, all the contact details as well as um, some indications on exactly what what we do and a lot of information is on there um, and then we're working at Netcare Unitas Hospital in Centurion. Mm. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for the good work that you're doing and thank you for your passion as well. Thank you very much. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you Dr. Zilange. All right. Keep well. Bye-bye walkamile.co.za if you want to know more about uh, Blount's disease B-L-O-U-N-T-S you can google it as well um, but if you want to know what's available Dr. Delange is your person and it's www.walkamile.co.za now the Kimberley Rose Cancer Foundation is raising funds for the Red Cross and the Tell a Story campaign on the 6th of December uh, we talked to the director, uh, Justin Asher. Justin, hello. Hi, Shara. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? Now, give Hi. us some background on, on the Kimberly Rose Cancer Foundation. Sure. So, the Cancer Foundation was started uh, in 2011. My sister passed away from a rare form of osteosarcoma. She was 15 at the time. And uh, since then, we've just kind of been inspired to change some lives and make a difference in whatever ways we can. And uh, we started working together with Red Cross Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, wherever we can try and find small projects to work with them to change a few lives and uh, just try and inspire hope, you know, we get involved. What was your sister's name? Uh, name was Kim. Kim. Kimberly. Yeah. Kimberly, yeah. Oh, fantastic. This is a good way of remembering her, actually, and, and, and giving back. So what are we doing on the 6th? So on Saturday, we're going to be holding our first official fundraiser. It's Pat uh, Pat Day, the first of its kind in Cape Town. Uh, you know, we were looking at the option of a golf day, but instead we decided, no, let's try and find something that can include all family, uh, all the kids, friends, that kind of thing. So we decided on having a Pat Pat Day. So on Saturday, we'll be putting at uh, the Momentum Golf Village in Tiger Valley. It's on Carl Cronier Drive. And, yeah, all the way from 11 a.m. right through to about 4 or 5 p.m. we'll be packing away. Hopefully quite a few people will turn out in their numbers. And, yeah, we've got some small prizes on offer, a good fun, bit of competition. It should be should be awesome. Now, how many children are, 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 are fighting cancer at the moment? Do we have numbers, especially at the Red Cross? Sure. They're, they're, they're hundreds. Hey, there's, mm. there's about 40 or 40 odd new patients a day that come in. Wow. Uh, it's always changing. And I think that's one of the most dramatic things that we saw. You know, we'd go in there on a, on a Monday and then by the Thursday, it's a completely new group of young kids who have come in battling the disease. Some are 
some are quite far into their treatment others are only just beginning mm. and what sort of what sort of treatment uh, i mean this you're fundraising now and w- what what is required to make them live comfortably if anything because it's not it's not easy living with cancer and and waking up and struggling with it all you know all the yeah, time sure. there, look there, there's a number of things one can do to deal with cancer once you have it Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things is uh, a healthy diet, and a lot of people don't really know that, and they think, well, you know, they got cancer and they continue eating uh, products that aren't really good for them. That will. So that's one of the things we're looking at is just uh, helping people out with some information on what they should and shouldn't eat. Um, but yeah, I mean, the treatments they're getting in our country are pretty standardised in terms of chemotherapy and radiation. But around the world, all over the world, really, there are hundreds of treatment options out there which we don't necessarily know about. So part of what we're doing, a small part of what we're doing is just bringing that information to people and allowing them to be aware of what else is out there, that there are other options in case something here is not working for them. Listen, Justin, you're not doing anything small. This is very big of you. This is very big of you, you know. Yeah, it's massive. It's a long-term the long-term objective that we hope to achieve at some point in the next 10 or 15 years but that's why for now we're just uh, changing lives on a small scale just by inspiring the families and uh, generating a bit of hope within them okay now if somebody cannot get to the put put village which is uh, where at the golf village yes at the momentum golf village in tiger valley okay now if people can't get there uh, how else can they support you you can visit our website at donate.kimberlyrose.org. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Kimberly Rose Cancer Foundation, or on Twitter at Kimberly Rose CF. Uh, or you can call us on 082 0089 fantastic i wish you all the best um and and let us know how it went huh? great thanks very much we will do thanks justin bye-bye bye-bye yeah you lose a sister and you think what can i do for somebody else i think that's big so pat pat charity challenge which is at the moment momentum golf village you got all those details but if you didn't zero eight two seven eight nine zero zero seven nine is the number to call for justin to get more information and in case you want to assist um donate at kimberlyrose.org is also the number to call